Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Portfolio Manager Shri Tella joins us on the program to discuss the latest Bank of Canada announcement and how that could affect Canadian bonds. Shri says the latest BOC announcement signals an intention to cut rates and potentially adopt a less restrictive or more simulative approach. He says the Fed shares a similar concern and outlook. They are aiming to keep inflation in check before considering rate cuts. Shri says financials, particularly the Canadian banking sector, continues to show consistency. This stability makes it a favored and significant sector in the Canadian corporate market. Conversely, non-financial corporates are more of a neutral outlook due to higher interest rates and refinancing challenges. Please note Shri shared some slides during the show to the live advisor audience. This podcast was recorded on December 8th, 2023. Hi Sri, great to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Really delighted that you can uh, help us put all of this into perspective. Sri, when we spoke just a couple of days back, so this was before the Bank of Canada decision was announced, um, you basically thought this is what would happen, but you also said that a cut would have sent the wrong message. Just just kind of dig into your reaction and sort of where that cut story begins. Yeah, I think, um, you know, cutting the, the big concern that the Bank of Canada has had for quite a while now is really about keeping inflation in check and making sure that inflation expectations don't run away. And I think um, signaling um, a path towards cutting rates and, and potentially becoming less restrictive or even more stimulative um, has the risk of fueling um, additional um, strength in the economy and, and further inflation. And so I think the Bank of Canada is very careful about that transition point. And, and if you think about the announcement yesterday, obviously the fact that they didn't change rates um, didn't move rates was as pre- pretty much everyone expected that for the most part. Um, we have seen some softening in Canadian data, but the announcement yesterday did have a little bit of something for everyone. The bank acknowledged that growth in Canada was slowing. Um, they noticed that consumption growth was flat for the last couple of quarters. Business investment has flatlined. But on the flip side, they said the U.S. strength has been a little bit stronger than expected. They noted that core inflation is still somewhat elevated. Um, and they also indicated that they're still uh, ready to uh, raise rates if needed in order to keep inflation in check. So they, it was a much more balanced um, messaging, um, which kind of points to them being on hold. Um, for the near future, but I think that th- there's a higher hurdle for them to start cutting rates because they are fearful that uh, they still want to keep inflation expectations in check. And I mean, we're going to, you and I are going to discuss, you're going to, your expertise is, is the Canadian fixed income story, but I want to bring in the U.S. unemployment numbers this morning because it, it's, it's sort of indicative of, of exactly what every central bank is grappling with. Here, here we have numbers that come in on the employment side that you know, just look like inflation's still there. There's um, there are trends, but there are also these facts that still roll in. And if you're a central bank, you don't want to be you don't want to be letting up too soon, basically. Yeah, and I think I mean in the U.S., I think the Federal Reserve has the same concerns or the same um, sort of outlook in that they uh, are probably closer to being on hold. But at the same time, they want to make sure that things are trending to, to a, towards a slowdown or that inflation's in check before they start cutting rates. So it, the numbers this morning in the U.S. were quite strong. 
Um, and, uh, and, but you're also seeing that in Canada to some extent, like the unemployment rate has been drifting higher, but that's really been more because the labor force has expanded because of immigration. Um, if you think about the, the, we're still adding jobs in Canada on a regular basis. And so the numbers are still positive. And so employment is actually a key thing to watch because as of right now, as long as people are employed, they're able to make payments. They might shift where they're spending that money and they might spend a little less. But the concern over consumer defaults getting to unmanageable levels, you really don't see that until people actually start losing jobs. And and you are anecdotally hearing about companies letting some people go or, or right-sizing their workforce. Um, so that is something to watch for going forward. And the, the discussion of savings, where, where this pile of savings that that we had through as an economy through COVID is declining. So yes. let's kind of go through what you're what you're watching here. Sure. So so part of the, the backdrop for this is just more about looking at the trend. So we've had this um, very resilient economy um, in both in Canada and the U.S. and in other parts of the world over um, despite a significant rate hikes over the last couple of years. And and so when we think about that, you know, there was a lot of built up savings through the pandemic, a lot of supports uh, from the government. Um, monetary policy was stimulative. And so savings really picked up significantly um, and 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 still remains elevated relative to pre-pandemic levels. So that's still a positive tailwind for the economy. But one of the things we need to watch for now is if the trend of savings by different income quintiles over time. And, you know, the lowest income quintiles have always been or generally are, are most other than a couple of you know, through the, the peak of the pandemic, they generally are in negative savings mode where um, um, where all, a lot of their income is going towards just general um, living expenses, etc. Um, if you look at the trend in through the, the middle income quintiles, they're starting to uh, bring down, um, they're starting to also, their savings is also starting to come down. And so as we see this trend decline, that's something to watch for because it means, you know, the, the pent up demand and the excess savings that we have in, in the economy to, to boost the economy is starting to dwindle. Uh, now in aggregate savings still remains elevated compared to pre pandemic, but this is a trend to watch for. Um, because it does mean the spending power of the consumer is, is on a path towards declining. I guess for those that think about equities all day long, just take us through the sort of bond connection of you know a company that is strong, is able to get through things, but earnings may come down. If you own bonds in that corporation, in that company, you're safer because of the corporate, the, the whole structure of how, of how things work, of how bondholders versus equity holders this in the in the lineup. But, you know, in a declining earnings situation, if the consumer is hit, just give us the case for the bond story, basically, in sort of simple terms. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, from a bond perspective, you know, we're looking at um, their ability to, to to make their payments and, and cash flow. Um, so if you think about it, uh, and one thing I neglected to mention on the savings side is also as people have to pay higher rates on their debt um, and, you know, more of their money is going towards debt payments and so on because of higher interest rates, that is also going to lead to savings declining. But on the corporate front, you know, we've seen from a, a peak uh, through post-pandemic 
you know, companies were over earning in a couple of years post pandemic um, and and made their balance sheets look really good. If you think about leverage being a function of the amount of debt you have versus your earnings, as you may keep your debt levels constant, but as earnings come down, your leverage just naturally increases because of the math. And also when you have higher interest rates due to, and you're refinancing at higher rates, then more of your money is going towards interest payments. So those are kind of some of the things we watch for in the ability of companies to refinance how much of their money is going towards interest and what that means. And that in, is a, so it's kind of a bit of a, a vicious uh, circle in that you end up, if you're paying more for your interest, it's going to hit your earnings further because more of your money is going towards interest payments. And so so here you can see kind of post-pandemic earnings, the top line being uh, non-financial corporate earnings, uh, nominal earnings, and, and they, they grew significantly. And you could argue that some companies were over-earning through the pandemic. And we're starting to see that get back to historical averages. And so while corporate profits are still still positive and still healthy um, and and even still just going back to long-term averages. Um, when you look at balance sheets, that is going to mean that balance sheet metrics will deteriorate a little because of... of just uh, explain that because it, you know, lower. it looks really good if you're making piles of profits and you have X debt, you know, you're, you're sort of flying. But all of a sudden when the debt sort of stays somewhat constant and the, and the earnings come down, the profitability comes down, it's just a different comparable, isn't it? Uh, yes, exactly. So when we look at that, too, um, it's not to say that companies will enter a period of stress because they're still earning. Um, they still have positive earnings and their earnings are still relatively good. It just means that their balance sheets are going to be stretched a little bit more. Um, and and again, you're going to have more money going towards interest payment. Um, so the thing to watch for here is it's really the lower quality companies that are going to be more stressed. Um, and you might see defaults start to pick up on the lowest quality type names, but, um, it just means that, uh, you know, so an up in quality bias to corporate exposures and so on might be warranted in this kind of an environment. Um, and that being said, also with companies having more money going towards interest payments with their earnings coming down, it potentially means less money to invest, which then has the knock on effects on the economy. Could you take that corporate profitability discussion um, right into sort of the Canadian sectors, if you don't mind? So financials come to mind. Um, take us into some of the sectors within. Yeah. So um, so when we think about and when you have a period of strength in risk assets, you start to see valuations compress broadly. Um, so, you know, if you look across the spectrum of, of corporate spreads, you see lower quality like triple B's and even high yield spreads of compressed versus higher quality names like the Canadian banks and and, and so on. And, and the financial sector in particular had been hit harder the last couple of years because of uh, two years ago, it was because of excess uh, issuance in the bond market. This year is obviously the U.S. regional banking crisis impacted valuation. So we've seen a compression from non-financials to financials. And if you look back at financial earnings in, in Canada, and you look at the stability. So while we've had corporates have a big increase, non-financial corporates have a big increase in earnings and coming back to and normalizing, you look at the stability of financials over the course of the last number of years. And so even when you have these ebbs and flows in the economy because of the Canadian banking sector being so stable, 
um, you have a much, uh, it's a much more comfortable sector to be ex- invested in. And, and from a fundamental aspect, and then when you've had valuations in banks look on a relative basis, look much more attractive because of some technical factors the last couple of years. Um, it's a sector that we actually favor currently. Um, and it's also a big part of the Canadian corporate market. And so, um, so that's, uh, that's one sector that we really like. Um, and then on the non-financial side of things, because we're seeing this normalizing of earnings and, uh, and refinancing issues and higher interest rates, um, we do have a much more neutral bias on uh, non-financial uh, corporates. Um, and we're favoring more specific names within sectors uh, that we really like. So it's really more about, it's less about having sector overall sector exposure to some of these sectors, but more picking the best in class within each sector. When you say that, does it not, so you've mentioned quality um, and quality has its own um, metrics of what of what that means. Does it also almost exclusively for you mean really big companies? Like there's, there, is there anything that isn't really big? In the um, I mean, I guess from the Canadian perspective, um, we would think about investing more in larger companies from a liquidity standpoint, because in this environment, you also want to maintain a lot of liquidity in a portfolio, just given the volatility and the outlook. Um, but in the Canadian fixed income market, it's not always about size because um, you do have a lot of um, smaller issuers, a lot of frequent issuers that don't have a lot of bonds outstanding, but have very attractive quality um, okay. to own. And so, uh, but we would, when we think about that from a portfolio construction standpoint, we look at those as kind of core holdings. We want to be a long term. Um, so if we're investing in smaller companies, it's it's because we have a long term positive view that we view it as a core holding and we're not necessarily relying on needing to sell that bond or have liquidity from that. And so we'll make sure that the component of our portfolio has exposure to companies like that. Um, I'm wondering if you think we should talk a bit about provincial bonds, but yeah, um, I mean, we can start with provincials and then kind of tie it in with, uh, with all the different sectors. So the provincial sector, um, you know, if you look at valuations generally, so speaking of defensive, uh, you know, being in higher quality, you know, provincial government bonds, um, are obviously um, very liquid, active spreads look relatively attractive when you think about them versus high quality corporate bonds. Um, and so um, that's an area that I think we are generally positively, um, we have a positive view on generally in that sector. What I will say is that what we're watching is you're starting to see some of the budgets in the provinces deteriorate marginally because growth is slowing and they rely on nominal growth. Um, Their expenses have been creeping up for a variety of reasons. In different provinces, it's for different reasons. For example, in in Eastern Canada, expenses are going up because they've had a big influx of people, so they need to spend more on infrastructure. Um, and so, so there's some nuance. So those are, that's a positive and a negative when you have more people coming in and, and it sort of boosts your, potentially boosts your economy. But on the flip side, the costs go up. Um, but in, in general, the provinces are in really good shape. They've been bringing down spending. Uh, I'm sorry, bringing down their deficits. Um, while we have a little bit of a blip more recently, the trajectory is still positive. Um, you know, assuming we still have reasonable growth in the economy. And so, so we do like provincials from a, being a more defensive sector, but we are cognizant that supply, that the technicals could pressure the, the sector marginally, uh, just given that we're going to see, uh, increased, uh, spending 
especially as you, you, you know, enter into the election years. So for the next little while. That's so interesting. There'll be lots of money promised potentially, and that can that can adjust sort of how how the provincial, yeah, how they spend essentially. Um, so let's go into the yields and the spreads a little bit here. I mean, we we know the yield story over the course of the last year. It's been like nothing we've ever seen in almost twenty years. Um, but what about spreads? So let's dig into sort of credit and 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 yields. So when we look at um, to where we are since uh, post the financial crisis in terms of overall yield levels and and spread levels on a percentile basis, and and as you th- as you mentioned, you know, and we've talked about this in the past, yields are are generally very attractive in fixed income. We're at kind of the cheapest levels, notwithstanding, you know, we've had seen rates come down the last couple of weeks um, a fair quite a bit. Um, and, and we could obviously talk about what's priced into the market. But, uh, so from a yield perspective, this does show that almost every sector across the board, um, in, in Canada and in the U.S. that are listed here are look very attractive from a yield standpoint. Now, where it gets a little more interesting is looking at spreads because we've had such a strong period for risk assets. Corporate spreads are either closer to their tighter end of their ranges or in the case of Canada, they're more around fair value. And um, and so um, so it, it given the outlook, it does make you feel a little more cautious on on credit exposure in a fixed income portfolio. But what I will say is if you look back historically at periods where rates are elevated, um, the, a tighter level of corporate spreads can persist for a longer period of time, uh, just because the all-in yields look attractive and you're still picking up an incremental um, spread over um, over government bonds. And so, so I, we do think that generally uh, having exposure to corporate credit is 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 important because. Um, overall yields are attractive and you are getting that incremental spread. However, it, again, this warrants for it being a little more cautious, um, just because of where the spreads are relative on a historical basis. But the other thing that's interesting to note here is how Canada looks more attractive than, um, than some of the U.S. sectors when you just think about spread levels alone, not 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 factoring in currency and and, and rate exposures, but um, but just on spread levels. And part of that is because Canadian corporates are more financials heavy. And as I mentioned, banks, um, the Canadian uh, or the banking sector, both in Canada and the U.S., has been uh, a bit of an underperformer the last couple of years for a couple of technical reasons. Um, and so because of that, the Canadian um, index has lagged the recent uh, performance uh, compared to the U.S. Um, so that's I one thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of fascinating because you always hear that perspective. Um, so this is an allocation question, but we'll put it to you to make the argument in any case. Is it fair for bond-heavy clients to sit tight? Um, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that generally your return profile for fixed income is uh, is, po- is is great given where yield levels are. Um, and I think if you, if you uh, have this sort of cautious outlook on the economy and think about where the valuation in other sectors then fixed income is still going to look pretty attractive, right? The yields you're getting, the all-in yields, if you look at um, on on a general generic sort of bond fund or is, you know, five-ish percent, um, let's say, and, uh, and, you know, that yield and return profile 
is very competitive versus other other spots, especially if we're entering into this cautious period where we get an inflection point in rates. The, you know, the the risk reward in fixed income is still um, pretty attractive. But but like anything, I would I would say you know each individual's position is. Uh, um, and I'm not an investment advisor in terms of um, with with individual retail clients, but but you know each individual's person is is the reasons. I think you have to think about what are the reasons that they're heavy into fixed income, right? Is it is it a market call or is it more because of their um, their uh, risk profile or where they are in, in life stage and so on? So, um, but I do think fixed income looks attractive, um, and I think it's going to be a um, uh, and, you know, but if we have this volatility and this turn in the economy, it's going to be a more defensive and a safer place to be. So th- this is um, this is a great question. So um, can you speak to the one to five year bond rates in Canada over the next sort of, you know, three to six months? So we're just looking into into 2024 and they add to that bond rates have a strong influence, obviously, on mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. So yeah. your comments on on the rates. Yeah. So, so I guess the way I maybe I'll approach that answering that is thinking about what's priced into the market. And, right. um, and so if we look at, um, right now, the Canadian market's pricing in about a hundred basis points of rate cuts over the next year, um, with the first one kind of happening between March and April, or at least, uh, by April. Um, you know, we went from this, case a few couple months ago of uh, rates staying elevated and high for a long period of time. Um, and uh, we saw the big sell-off in rates. And then now over the last few weeks, there's been this shift with the data slowing and and um, and kind of entering the end of the central bank's um, hiking cycle that we're now looking at the inflection point and rates coming down. Uh, in the next few months, I mean, my personal view is that um, is that uh, I think we've gone a little too far too fat too quickly. I do think we are likely to see some kind of rate normalization or rate cuts through next year, partly because we're at very restrictive levels on rates and cutting rates doesn't necessarily mean um, going to stimulative levels. It's more about getting to less restrictive um, because we're seeing a slowdown in the economy. That being said, I think the, cent- the, the Bank of Canada is going to be very careful about the message they send. You know, cutting 100 basis points and getting rates back down uh, even lower uh, is going to be more potentially more stimulative, especially if you have stable growth. Um, it's not like growth is cratering. And so if you have stable growth and they're cutting rates, then you have risk reaccelerating things. So so I think a lot's priced in. Um, the other thing is where we are right now is already making mortgage rates more attractive than they were a couple of weeks ago okay. um, or two, three weeks ago. And so that on its own is going to ease financial conditions and support the economy. So so I think there's this fine line where I think the bank maybe won't be able to meet what's priced in. Um, and so there is. Um, maybe that you'll get some middle ground where we price take uh, remove some of those rate cuts uh, going forward. Um, but but I do think we will start to see an inflection point at some point next year. So based on um, your view and some of the things you've shared with us, this question is is asking you about about you know fund specific questions. So between tactical high income and multi sector bond, you know which do you think fits with your 2024 outlook better? Put that to you. Um, it's a good question. So 
So I don't manage I don't manage those um, the uh, Canadian side. Yeah, those specific ones. But um, I think that generally the the multi. I, I mean, it's hard to say. They both have their sort of different aspects. I think you know the multi sector is is probably able to be a little bit more tactical um, in terms of. Um, in terms of where it can go and what it can do. And so there is, um, you know, uh, there are opportunities to be tactical in this environment. I think that's something that with the volatility and being able to, to move things around can add a lot of value. Um, and so, but I think that generally the profile in both of those, um, both of those strategies are, is, um, um, is, is, is going to fare well. I mean, you, again, you've got high incomes, even though I talk about being higher quality and, and defensive, when you look at the all-in yields in things like high yield and leveraged loans and so on, um, you, you need a really significant weakening for those, those sectors to uh, underperform. Um, the all-in yields are going to really uh, be what the driver of your returns going forward. And so, so I think having allocations to those sectors is, uh, does add value. That's brilliant. Okay. And um, let's, we've got a bit of time here. So this question is, how attractive are Canadian investment grade bonds from a global perspective, from sort of a global fixed income market perspective? How do we stack up? Yeah. So when, when we, when I think about sort of valuations, I think Canadian uh, investment grade bonds actually look very attractive, largely because of the, the reasons I gave earlier in terms of having more exposure to financials and having lagged the outperformance. I also think Canadian fixed income or Canadian investment grade credit tends to be less volatile than the U.S. and foreign other foreign markets. And so when you're entering this period of uncertainty with volatility, it's going to provide more stability. Um, so that is kind of thinking about it from a spread perspective and, and the individual market where it becomes a little more nuanced is, you know, thinking about your rate exposures to different countries. Um, you know, in that, in that sense, I think Canada also has an opportunity to be a good spot because I think Canada is more vulnerable than, let's say, the U.S. in terms of things turning and, and higher rates having impacts. So you could see rates outperforming Canada. Um, but on the flip side, then you also, if you're not hedging, the, it depends also if you're hedging the currency, because sometimes if you if you're just thinking about Canada versus the U.S. and not hedging currency, then the currency can actually be a bigger driver of your returns than the actual exposures to corporate bonds. So, um, but on a hedged basis and looking at overall valuations, I think that um, Canada is more defensive and stable um, and also looks more attractive given recent performance. Can I just go back to sectors for a second? You spoke about financials and non-financials. Real estate is an area that gets much discussion, and we know there are a couple of different parts, obviously, of the real story. But, but take us into Canadian REITs, what you see there. I mean, there's there's been some a lack of favor in certain areas. Where do you think yeah, things yeah. sit now for the real estate story? Yeah, so um, I think with Canadian REITs, it's really dependent upon the sector and um, it's really important to think about the individual companies as well and what their operating environments like, what, whether it's, you know, industrial or retail or office. Uh, those are things to think about. You know, industrial is um, is very uh, stable and strong, um, grow, like large anchored retail. Like there are a number of large REITs that have properties anchored by Loblaws or Walmart or so on. And those are very stable companies and doing very well. Um, office is a little trickier spot. 
Um, you know, when we think about the Canadian environment and what we invest in, we focus on the larger, more stable REITs. We've tended to favor grocery anchored retail type names or, um, or, um, or retail focused REITs that have uh, large anchored tenants. So there's a lot more stability. Occupancy is high um, and, uh, and they're essential goods. And so even in a downturn, you know, they still see traffic and, and they did very well through the pandemic, for example. Briefly, and, uh, can I sort of, in? I just, I know we've got sort of a minute left. I just, I want to just get a brief thought on, on both telecom and energy uh, again, just, just to sort of wrap up the overall sure. opportunity. So um, telecom is, um, is, a, is an area where we tend to look at it more from a valuation perspective. You know, we have very strong, stable telecom companies in Canada. Um, they actually surprised to the, to the upside in terms of their spending on the recent spectrum auctions was lower than expected. Um, their leverage is somewhat stable. Um, and, um, you know, I think within telecom, they're always going to be perpetual spenders. Um, so it's really more about when spreads look attractive. And as I mentioned, their spreads have compressed versus financials. And so we're more neutral on the sector right now. Um, but I would say that generally we're very comfortable with their fundamentals, just knowing that they're going to be frequent insurers. Um, energy, energy is similar. It is a similar case. Um, a lot of spending, um, but, uh, but very stable large companies. But we focus more on specific names in those sectors. It's been a delight to speak with you. And you've taken us on a real tour throughout, throughout this area. Um, we look forward to speaking to you. In, in 2024. And I hope you get some rest over the next few weeks if, if that's in the books. But uh, Tritella, thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.